0: Well, good evening and welcome, everyone. Thank you all for coming tonight as we uh, gather to pray together and to study the scriptures together. And uh, I pray that your week is going well and that it will continue to be blessed by the Lord. Thank you for coming tonight. Let's pray together and ask his blessings on our time this evening. Father, we thank you for how gracious and merciful you are to us. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to come and to gather as your people. Lord, I pray that you would join us together in unity as the family of God tonight, that uh, we would, with one voice, praise you and worship you and come before you with our uh, requests and our concerns. Father, I pray that you would uh, open our minds and hearts to receive your word. And uh, Lord, we just ask that in all that we do, as always, that you'd be glorified. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, last week we finished up our study of created to draw near. And so we're kind of in a midpoint between what we're going to do next. And tonight what I wanted to do is look at a psalm with you, Psalm number 130. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there with me to Psalm 130. I'll also have it up on the screen for you. Psalm 130. And the psalm opens with those words out of the depths. And it is a psalm of lament. It is a psalm of crying out to God in the midst of difficulty, crying out to God for his help, crying out for his forgiveness. It is also a song of ascent, which is a group of psalms uh, in this 120 to 130 range of psalms. And many people think that these were, these Psalms were sung or chanted by the people of Israel on their way up to Jerusalem for worship, which is why they're referred to as songs of ascent, ascending up the hill to Mount Zion to Jerusalem. And so the Psalmist says out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins and this psalm is essentially broken up into four units verses in each of two verses so verses 1 and 2 3 and 4 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and you can see that it is a song of lament a song in times of difficulty. And the first couple of verses teach us that in times of difficulty, when we're in the depths, that uh, we should run to God, not away from him. So our time in difficulty, our time in the depths should lead us to God, not away from him. He says in verse one, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. And the image is of someone in the depths of the sea, someone who's being overcome by the waves, overcome by the wind and the storm, uh, to me, my mind, the picture I get is the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the waves are boisterous, the winds are blowing. Jesus is calm, he's asleep in the boat, but the disciples are frantic, aren't they? They're frantic, they're anxious, they're crying out, "Lord, don't you care?" come and save us. And so the the psalm opens with uh, the psalmist just expressing the fact that he feels overwhelmed by life's waves. And we don't know exactly what the context is of this psalmist writing this. We don't know what these depths are for him. And I think many of the psalms do this intentionally because we can very much read it into our situation. And we can, we can uh, identify with the psalmist that there are times in which we feel like we're in the depths. That could be any number of things, right? It could be uh, financially, a lot of people going through very difficult times, especially over the last year, some people out of work. Um, it could be um, just emotional, maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe just depression, discouragement. Uh, it could be physical ailments. Uh, it could be as uh, D. Martin Lloyd Jones called it, spiritual depression, um, just uh, feeling disconnected from the Lord, away from the Lord. Any of these and more could qualify as being in the de- in the depths. And so the psalmist is overwhelmed, and he he cries out to the Lord. It's a, it's a cry of lament, it's a cry for help, it's a plea for the Lord to come and to rescue. And in verse number two, he says specifically, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for for mercy. So he's crying out to the, the open ears of God, that God would be benevolent toward him, that his face would be t- turned toward him in biblical language, and that he would find favor in the eyes of the Lord, and that he would hear his request. And I believe that assumed in this is that the Lord will hear, that the Lord's ears are open to the cries of his children. And we read that in other Psalms, as well as in other parts of scripture, that God is particularly in tune to the needs of his people, isn't he? Nothing escapes God's attention, right? So nothing in the whole universe escapes God's attention. God knows what happens to a sparrow. He knows what happens to the hairs on your head, he has them all numbered. So there's nothing in God's universe that escapes his attention. But the scriptures say that God's special eye, his special care is on the needs of his people. And so when the psalmist cries out to the Lord for him to hear, I think he's doing so in faith that the Lord will and does hear his cry. And the thing I was thinking about tonight is when we're in difficult situations, is this the first place where we run? Is this the first place where we run? I think for some of us, especially living in the world in which we do and living in the American context that we do, uh, we have this voice that tells us to be self-sufficient. And, and so if there's a problem, it's a medical problem. We run to the doctor. If there's a, a, A mental problem, we run to a counselor or a therapist. If there is, um, you know, a financial problem, we run to someone to help us with that. you know, we look for a job or a loan or, or whatever. And we start to look for these pragmatic solutions in the world to our situation. But the psalmist here is reminding us really the ultimate place where we need to run is God. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't work through doctors or nurses or, you know, counselors through employment. God works through these means, but where is our ultimate hope? Where's our ultimate source of help? And so the psalmist says, we we go to God, we cry out to him. And so some people in times of difficulty, they become estranged from God and they feel like God has abandoned them. But the psalmist is reminding us here that, no, it's in those times in the depths, that's when we need to run to God and cry out to him for his help. And so may our time in the depths draw us close to God and run to him instead of away from him. And then also he teaches us in the psalm that may our time in the depths lead us to repentance, forgiveness, and cleansing. He says in verse number three, if you lord kept a record of sins lord who could stand that is a very profound question isn't it if god kept a record and held that record against us who could stand nobody that's the assumed answer to the question isn't it who could stand in your presence who could who could stand innocent Received, welcomed into your presence? No one. No one. We have all sinned, haven't we? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If God held every single one of our sins against us, we would all be condemned. We would all be doomed. And what Psalm 19 reminds us of is that there are psalms, or there are sins that we're not even aware of ourselves. Psalm 19, the psalmist says, Lord, cleanse me even from secret faults. So there are things that we're not even aware of thoughts, motives, attitudes, intentions that are sinful that are opposed to God's will and his wishes that we don't even think about, but the Lord knows them all. But the psalmist here is is praising God's mercy and his forgiveness. He says, Lord, if you kept a record, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. That's good news, isn't it? With you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. And if you think about this as a song of ascent, as the people going up to Jerusalem to worship, it's almost as if this Psalm is reminding them the reason we can come to Jerusalem and come to the house of the Lord and worship and even be able to stand in his presence and worship him is because God is merciful and he's forgiving. And so they remember God's mercy and his forgiveness on the way up to worship him with you. There is forgiveness. Uh, it, It draws in one of the defining attributes of God's character. Do you remember in Exodus 34, when Moses wanted to see God, he wanted to see his glory and God takes Moses and he puts him in the cleft of a rock and he hides him there and he passes over him and lets him see a portion of his glory. But as he is doing that, he also calls out to Moses, his name, doesn't he? He says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the Lord. And then comes a description of what that name means, what that name represents. And a part of that is God, Yahweh, the Lord, is the one who shows mercy upon thousands of those who seek me and love me. And so with God, there is forgiveness. He is abundant in mercy. It it says slow to anger, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. With you, there is forgiveness. And now that we look at this from the perspective of the New Testament, we see how this hope is fulfilled in Christ, don't we? That the verse three, who could stand if if we had our records held against us? Nobody could stand. So, but God's plan is to have that record removed from our account and imputed to Christ. And he became sin for us who knew no sin. He became sin so that we then might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God takes our record of wrongs and imputes them to Christ, accounts them to Christ. And then he takes the righteousness of Christ and accounts it to us so that we may be forgiven. And so then having been forgiven, we can serve God in reverence, and awe. So may our time in the depths cause us to do some soul searching, heart examination, but then may it drive us to the forgiving, merciful God in whom we find grace and forgiveness. The psalmist also teaches us in this psalm, may your time in the depths lead you to wait with great anticipation for God and his deliverance. He says in verse five, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. So the context of this lament is he's in the depths. He cries out to God. He finds hope and comfort in the fact that God is a forgiving God and does not hold his wrongs against him. And then he says, now I need to wait. I need to patiently wait and trust in God to come and deliver. When is that going to be? He doesn't know. How is that going to happen? He doesn't know. He just has to wait. And in his word, I put my hope. Why does he put his hope there? Because in the word of God is where the promises of God are. The reassurances of God. He puts his hope there. He reminds himself of things that the Lord has said in his word. And he trusts him. And he says, with great longing, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And he repeats it for emphasis to make us think about it. And the image is of soldiers or guards, right? And they're on watch in the middle of the night. If you are in a danger zone, maybe the you're encamped in the ancient warfare setting you would have your encampment here and their encampment maybe on the other side of the valley over here and in the middle of the night you've got watchmen making sure they don't try anything in the middle of the night that could be a very anxious time wouldn't it to be on guard in the middle of the night hoping and waiting for the morning to come. Why? For the morning to come, because then you're relieved of duty, right? And the danger is past. You come off of your shift of, of, of standing guard. So he says, I wait for the Lord with that kind of longing alone in the dark, in the middle of the night, in the midst of danger, I'm waiting for the Lord to come and bring the morning, bring the dawn of his deliverance. And this is the difficult part about being in the depths is we trust in the Lord's faithfulness to come and to rescue, but we don't know when that's going to be. And we don't know how God is going to work that out because oftentimes he does it in his own timetable and he does it in a way that we don't often expect, but we have to wait and we have to trust. And then the psalmist teaches us that our time in the depths should lead us to put our hope and our trust in God alone for his redemption. Verse 7, the psalmist, after crying out to God, after crying out to him for help and and reassuring himself of God's forgiveness and uh, reminding himself to wait patiently for the Lord, now he exhorts his fellow people, fellow Israelites, And he exhorts them also to put their hope in the Lord. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him, is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So he says, put your hope in the Lord because with the Lord is unfailing love. That phrase unfailing love translates a Hebrew word that is used many, many times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is chesed, and it is the idea of God's covenant mercy, his faithful love. It is the idea that God has entered into covenant with his people and he will not fail them. He will not forsake them, but he has good intentions toward them, intentions of mercy, of love, of grace. And so he says to Israel, continue to trust, continue to hope in the Lord, because this is his character. This is who he is. And this is what he has covenanted, promised to do for us. With him is unfailing love and full redemption. He himself, God himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ on the cross, isn't it? When Mary became pregnant with Jesus, the angel came to Joseph to reassure him that this was of God and that he should go ahead and take Mary to be his wife. And he said, When this child is born, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his people from their sins. This, this verse is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And here's the thing. It says God himself will redeem Israel. Jesus is the son of God. He is in fact God, isn't he? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. This one who is God, who Paul says in Philippians two is in full equality with God in the very form of God. He became a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death and died on a cross to redeem us. We as believers, can include ourselves in this reference here when he says he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Because Paul reminds us in Romans 11, that through Christ and through the gospel, we Gentiles have been grafted in, haven't we? We've been grafted into the branch. We've been grafted into the tree of Abraham, if you will. And so Paul can say in Galatians then, so then by faith you also are sons of Abraham. So God will redeem us from all of our sins. There's great hope in that, isn't there? There's redemption, rescue, freedom. And where does the psalmist tell us to trust? Trust God. Wait for him. Patiently wait for him. Put your hope in him, your ultimate hope in him, and God will hear. He will rescue, he will forgive, and he will redeem. And so this psalm teaches us that in the darkest and the most difficult times of life, we must patiently trust in God who hears, forgives, rescues, and redeems. Are we in the middle of a difficult time right now? We are. For some of us more than others, this pandemic has hit people differently, different ways. Some, it has hit them to the very core of their being by um, putting them in the hospital at risk of their own life. By perhaps taking a, a spouse, a loved one away from them. This has hit people hard. It's hit other people, maybe not medically, but hit them financially. Other people confined at home, it's hit them mentally and emotionally. They're discouraged. They're depressed. Uh, This thing has, has hit people in different ways. Many of us could describe ourselves as in the darkest and most difficult times of life. But what do we do in those situations? Well, we patiently trust God. And the idea of patience there is not just waiting, but also persevering and enduring. Enduring trust in God. And why should we put our trust in him? Because the psalm reminds us that God hears. When we cry out, he hears. The psalm reminds us that he forgives. God does not hold our record of wrongs against us. But with him, there is forgiveness. God rescues we wait for him like a watchman waits for the morning. But then we know that the morning's coming, though, don't we? He rescues. And verses 7 and 8 remind us that he redeems. He rescues, he redeems. And so may we put our trust in him. How do we do that? How, how do we continue to trust in God when things look dark or when we feel like we're in the depths? Well, like the psalmist, we remind ourselves of his word. He says, Lord, in in your word, I put my hope. So go to the word of God. Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 130. Read other passages of scripture that teach us and remind us of the promises of God. Pray to God, just like this psalmist does. He says, I cry out to the Lord in my my distress. So the word of God and prayer. And also there is hope to be found within the community of God's people, isn't there? He says in verses seven and eight, Israel as we're all marching up to Jerusalem, Israel, put your hope in God. With him, there is redemption. And so find solace in the word of God, in prayer in talking with God, find solace and help and fellowship with the community of God. And remind yourself of the things that God has promised to you through his word, through the gospel. And so I pray that this psalm would be an encouragement, a help, but also a, a challenge to us to remind us of where we should run in times of difficulty. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you are a forgiving and merciful God who does not hold our wrongs against us. We thank you, Father, that You take our sins and you remove them from us as far as the East is from the West. And you take our sins and you bury them in the depths of the sea and you rescue us and pull us out of the depths and put our feet on a rock. God, we thank you for your love, your loving kindness and mercy. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers And Lord, even now, in just a few minutes, as we lift up our prayers before you and our concerns, we come before your throne of grace with hope, knowing that you hear the cries of your children. Lord, we thank you for your redemption and for the rescue that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we long for the day when all of creation will be redeemed and we will be with you for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. God bless your people tonight, especially those of us who are walking through times of difficulty in the depths. Lord, may your grace rest upon us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.